0: Hey Mike, did you know that everything is actually a cat? Really? Yeah, I can't explain it properly, but I'll get Craig Tessman on he'll tell you. Okay, get him in. Okay. Hi,
1: I'm Mike Brampton.
0: And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary
1: Ramblings. We interrupt the show for an important announcement.
0: Hi there, dedicated listeners. We just wanted to take a little time outside of the show as we've got something very exciting to share with you.
1: We have exclusive Veterinary Ramblings merchandise available now,
0: including T-shirts, mugs, posters and prints. Now, Personally, I think my favourite is our T-shirt with a hilarious diagram of cat anatomy, yep. which has been revised to include their sandpaper tongue, and treat-detecting ears. And
1: essential for all veterinary students. If you would like to show your support for the show, head over to veterinaryramblings.com and select either the merch button for a one-off purchase through our T-Mill store, or select become a patron.
0: I'm sure you'll be absolutely chuffed to know that everything in our T-Mill store is fully sustainable, carbon neutral, and shipped in plastic-free packaging. By making a one-off purchase, you will help us to plant more trees, save water, and reduce carbon emissions.
1: If you want to further support us, become a Patreon and receive items you cannot get through one-off purchasing. A shout out on the show, and
0: exclusive veterinary Ramblings content. Every single purchase, made will really help us keep on interviewing amazing guests. But if nothing else, we do appreciate you tuning in. Now, now
1: on, on with the show. So, you can hear us, Craig. Can you
0: hear me? Yay! We, we can. Fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. That's uh, much Good, better. Job. Brilliant stuff. What I, what I want to do is just get back very quickly because I know with a lot of listeners, perhaps fewer viewers, but I think it's worth just painting this visual picture for them because some of them may not be able to see uh, where, where you are, who you are, etc. cetera. Now, uh, as a bit of background to this, I bought a guitar recently. Um, my seventh guitar, and um, don't, don't tell my wife she told me got three. Anyway, um, it's um, a Fender Telecaster, really quite nice, and I um, I bought it from this place in Brighton, and you could try it out in a little sound booth, and the sound booth was all, all splayed up with um, with heavy metal uh, emblems and, and beer mats, and it, it looked it looked it actually looked like where you're sitting. And
2: that's why I mentioned it. So this is the back end of my kitchen. Um, What with with the world going to to pot in 2020, um, and everything turning into Zoom, and with with you saying me being on lots of different um, boards and groups and everything else, and having hundreds of meetings, uh, my wife was getting rather annoyed with bits of paper and books and computers left across the dining room table. So we went and we bought a desk and we turned the bottom of our kitchen into my little office space. Um, mm-hmm. And yet we've had, I, my birthday's Halloween. That's my excuse for the way I look and the way that I portray myself. <laughs> uh, so We just shoved all our Halloween signs on this horrible tongue and groove wall that we've got to make a nice background where we do stuff. But no, it is my kitchen and I've got, this is my this is a conservatory that we had built which has got my red Redfoot Tortoise who just lives in there and my spiders and my lizards and some close to I keep working very close to me Excellent. but yeah to people who are listening and rather than watching I broke the mold for what a veterinary nurse is a long long time ago and um, my hair's longer than what most girls hair is and the piercings and the tattoos it doesn't fit that mold but that's part of my identity of you can walk past me in the street and you won't know, A, what type of job I do, B, how much I do within that job and how I've progressed so far in it. And that's a nice little feeling. That's a, but it's also that imposter syndrome, isn't it? I've also got a bunch of guitars and ukuleles and everything else and have never had the chance to learn to play them properly because I've thrown <laughs> myself into work so <laughs> many yep. years. Yeah. Yep.
0: That's incredible. So...
1: Did you deliberately go out i mean you're sort of talking here as if you you live your life incognito as sort of a, a batman style character and i i use batman as an analogy because bats are a special special animal in their own right aren't they but uh was that a deliberate thing
2: it wasn't really i i i grew up um with very, very cool parents who listen to to rock music and metal, and I was brought up on ACDC, Metallica, and everything else that goes mm-hmm. along with it. Um, and I was allowed to grow into that persona, and grow my hair, and get the tattoos, and be different and alternative. And I held back quite stringently um, when I started. So I started in practice in 99 when I was 17. I had the long hair, but I could tie that up, and it didn't really offend anybody. All right. Started to get tattooed, um, kept everything under clothes so that nobody could see it. yeah And then when I was 25, 26, and I'd I don't think I'd had an interview for my last job and my skill set and everything I did shined more than what I did. I was then able to progress um to kind of express myself a little bit more on who <laughs> I was. And I like this is me and this is who I am. And I don't want to fit into kind of the the moulds of other things. But I think it also helps that if somebody from the outside is looking into to veterinary or veterinary nursing, yeah, that mould was smashed by me and maybe they can see themselves in that position and see themselves doing it. So I'll use it it as a positive
0: It it makes it more inclusive, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm.
2: Um, But I have always said if my hair starts to thin or starts to fall out, it's going to go, but...
0: That was exactly the decision I made, Greg.
2: I've
1: I've thought long and hard about this and I'm going to go for a comb over. I'm gonna cover it. You're gonna cover. it, oh, you yeah. can go over. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cover it. If if I start losing my hair, I'm gonna just cover it over. I, I can't face the I, idea. I in. think
0: that would look good on you, Ike. Actually, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I can't face being
2: bored like him. Yeah. I am. Um, I, hit, I hit the dreaded forty, <laughs> 40 this year, so hopefully <laughs> the hair's not going anywhere at the moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they all say that. It's forty-three, oh. and you you go to the hairdresser and you start crying because there's there's more hair on the floor than on your head
1: yeah there we go so what what was it as a a 25 26 year old that you you came to that realization was there any particular
2: i started working nights (laughs) um i i I, yeah um i applied for a a job in in an ecc clinic um working nights working out of hours and working sole charge as a nurse with one of the vets right my I grew as a person and grew as a nurse at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point, I thought, well, I can do this if I've got drawings on my skin or, or if I haven't. So screw it, I'm going to do it. Yep. Which might be the wrong yeah. attitude to have. It's also, you guys know who I am before this, hmm. but you remember me when you see me because of the way that I look. There is nobody else that walks yes. at any of the events that look like me.
0: True. This is true. This
2: is true. And we do,
0: rightly or wrongly, I mean, com- completely um, subconsciously make some sort of value judgment. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying whether it's a good value judgment or a bad value judgment, but you know, however we look at someone, make an instant value judgment on them. Uh, mm. You you are valued highly and well-prized. But I, I only mention that because the first job I had, after about three weeks, uh I was due to see my first ever parrot as a qualified vet, and I peeked out to see what what sort of people had brought this parrot in, and it was two punks with piercings, with uh, with tattoos, with Mohican haircuts, and my my upbringing had never brought me into association with with punks like that. I'd only ever seen uh, the caricatures of them on uh, on television programmes, comedy shows, and things. So I made a judgment. And thought, well, okay, and I'm, I'm dealing with people probably who are, you know, maybe aggressive, maybe uh, not not intellectual. You know, I, I made a really quite brazen judgment just by the looks and what societal um, memes had told me. And they came into the consulting room, and I said, "So, tell me what's wrong." The parrot and the chap said, Well, actually, um, funny story about that. He, I think he's all right. I think he's got a bit of feather plucking. We looked into it. And I said, Hmm, hmm yeah, interesting. I said, uh, After a bit, sorry for stopping you, you surprised me a little bit. Um, I, I was expecting, you know, perhaps someone who hadn't investigated parrots quite so much. Turns out they were two stockbrokers who made their millions and thought, you know, now we have no need to wear pinstripe suits anymore. Uh, we're just going to dress as we want and they loved the music and, and they followed their their whim um, and it was lovely and it really opened my eyes to the fact that actually we can be more self-expressive sadly without any hair uh, I rather lost the, um, the ability to do it I've got, I've got a hair I've three weeks <laughs> Mike's got a hair behind him a little wickerwork one <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's not real is it mm. okay but we do we do judge don't we we do uh judge a book its cover to use
2: exactly. that of course Off and i, I think brief. i think i learned a long time ago that being alternative modified different however you want to say it you have to work a little bit harder for society to accept you and to get you through and i think with being a male nurse i've had the same the same mm. complications and the same problems that have happened um and i think that thing of yes people will see me at these At conventions or at CPD events and kind of go, oh, he doesn't fit the mold. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they turn up to one of my lectures and go, he may not fit the mold, but he does walk the walk and talk the talk. Yeah. And it Mm -hmm. breaks that stigma a little bit. And you are right. The the best, the best backhanded compliment I ever got was my first boss took me to one of my first CPD events, introduced me to some of his peers. Um and I was told, well, he looks like most of our snake clients. I take advice from him. And I thought, right, I, I've I've won. <laughs> well,
0: there we go. Yeah, there we go. I've got a
2: foot in the door. That's fine. Yeah. And,
0: and there is there is kind of that um expectation, isn't there, that if you have I'm gonna call them exotic animals precisely because I hope it's going to uh, make you shiver a bit and tell me what they're really called. Cool. But you know, a lot of people who have exotic pets will dress or behave exotically in, yes. uh, in the large, by the large.
2: Yeah, and yeah. NTCAs I think is the, now the, the official time, so non-traditional companion animals, but I still call them exotics, so yeah.
0: I know at our publications meeting recently, the, the idea of NTCAs came up, and um, and I <laughs> decided to, to become enraged by it, at the thought that we were pandering to uh, to iguanas who didn't want to be called exotics, and then someone said, well, it's, it's not just like well look at rabbits. And I said, you can't get more fucking traditional than a bunny bunny, can you? I mean, heaven's sake. But, but you're absolutely right. There's a place for calling animals non-traditional companion animals. Because if you think of exotic animals, people are automatically going to think of I mean, birds of paradise or, or iguanas or, or something really outlandish. Uh, but saying dogs that aren't just, sorry, pets that aren't just dogs and cats. It is what non-traditional companion animals
2: are, isn't it? It is, but when you look at it, there's something like 20,000 fish kept in captivity, but there's only 8,000 dogs, so that means that fish are more traditional. Uh, birds have been kept for longer than what dogs have. Cats have been kept longer than dogs. Um, but I think it's just the norm yes. is, is cat and dog. Um, my joke is I always say I work with non-traditional companion animals, um, so that's anything that isn't a cat and a dog unless it's a special type of cat and dog so we still see wolf dog hybrids we still see savannah cats yeah. so i don't get away from them all the time um <laughs> but yeah for the last six years i've not had to deal with woofers and mowers all the time so i'm i'm, I'm happy with that i've got my own cats at home who are my, my my children who may appear on this at some point um because they think zoom meetings are just for them um, but yeah working within the hospital and just seeing non-traditionals is has been really good for the last couple of years.
0: So when did you when did you wake up and think I'm gonna be a vet nurse?
2: Gosh um so I think like anybody I was I was I've always wanted to be a vet. It was that thing right the way through childhood. I am from the era of animal hospital um so I watched that and was obsessed. Um and yeah that's my, my head was vet, vet vet. Um, I went through GCSEs and didn't revise, um, and did quite well. And then I sat down to A levels, and A levels is when they actually start getting real. Uh, and didn't progress as well as I should have done. I stupidly started to do. Um, I took on five courses. I did maths, further maths, English, um, chemistry, physics, and biology, and struggled. Um, sat my first year of exams. Didn't do as well as I was expecting and decided my brain was a bit mushy at that point. I need to do something different. Right. I had been doing experience mm-hmm. in practice since the age of 15 and knew that that's where I was going to be. I was going to be in a practice at some point. So I went and got thought, I'll take a year out. I'll do more experience. Started on an animal care course. Mm-hmm. And I think it was five, six weeks into me doing the course and doing two days a week experience in practice. They offered me a full-time position as a student. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went and had a long, hard look in the mirror and thought, I actually like the caring side rather than the medical side at that age. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, let's go for it. Um, So I did. Um, And then did a couple of years as a student, a couple of years as a pre-veterinary nurse, then did my veterinary nursing course and had my struggles with the exams. I've never been an exam-y person, um, but managed to scrape through. So anybody who's listening who's failed exams I can do it you can do it it's, it, it, it's awful but it's just a, it's a way to get through um I And mean, yeah I've been in it ever since and've I've done that the, the silly thing and I think we all do it we look in the mirror and think do I go and do something else I think mm. when I hit the age of 30 I was like, I've done this forever do I go and find another job and thought who's going to employ a 30 year old with no experience with any in any other field? so I stuck with it and the ball started moving even quicker at that age. I think I really started to progress further and started doing things when I was in my thirties. So that was the lecturing and the becoming a clinical coach and now being on council and sitting on boards and doing things like that. And I've got very, very good friends who are very, very good vets and very good peers who pushed me into these positions and pushed me in through those doors. Um, and I've got a lot of time and a lot of thanks to give to those people, um, because they could see my potential before I could.
0: I was going to say, I, I think, um, I think for them it's an easy choice to push you because you are immensely capable at these tasks, and, yeah. uh, and and an asset. If I can, they are on media an asset to, uh, to certainly to the committee that I'm with. You know, I'm sure to all of them, and and uh, hopefully. A meteoric rise will continue you're 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 progressing through bvna British veterinary nursing association
2: so yeah um a couple of um past presidents um had dinner with me and had strong words with me um about joining council um i thought what's the worst that can happen i'll throw my name in the hat and see what happens and i got on The, the joe public voted me on it was wow okay um so i stayed on council for a year and then on my second year i joined um, i moved into the um honorary treasury seat mm-hmm. there's going to be some shifting around come october and i'm hoping to move into the on sec role at that point um and then yeah i've got i've got my own ideals and where i would like to be i don't want to be a flash in the pan. I don't want to stay on council for four years and then disappear and never be around again. Mm-hmm. I'd like to stay on for the I'd like to do two or potentially move into a third term. a term is three years um and during that time, they are very interested and they are giving me the confidence to do it, and the more I talk about it, the more it becomes real. They would like me to take a JVP position and then move into a president's role mm-hmm. um And yeah, I think that's going to be my future. Um, There's lots of things that we're doing currently with um, BVNA um, and I'd like to see it come to fruition. I'd like to... I've been here when those those initial papers have been written and we've started to move things through. So, for instance, protecting the title is something that we're really passionate about at the moment. But that's not going to happen overnight. That's going to take four, five, six years to happen. And I'd like to still be on council when it happens. I don't want my name to just be on a piece of paper when Mm -hmm. I've left. so that's one of my, my reasons for staying on board for so long. Um plus I'd like to do all of the roles. I'd like to I've I've done main council. I'm now an officer. I'd like to try the on-sec, um, the on position and see what the different roles entail before I stepped into that major role of the sure. president.
1: So how how do you mm-hmm. perceive how do you perceive the profession right now? What sort of state is the profession in now? It's a
2: bit of an odd one. Um personally, I think that we're, we, we've we been, a lot of financial things have been thrown around in the press and by some of the corporate groups, and I think that's caused a bit of eruption between some of the other corporates that are involved in it. Um, yeah. I agree completely that nurses should be paid well for what they do, yeah. um, but blanket paying all nurses the same wage may not be the way to do these things. Also, if you are going to blanket pay, then is that going to stop nurses progressing and doing further things in the future? Are they going to go, right? I'm paid thirty pounds and that's the top, that's the ceiling level of where I'm going to get paid. I'm not going to go and do my certificate. I'm not going to go and learn about anesthesia. I'm not going to do my CPD. And is it going to harm the profession on that score? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think there's a large uptake of coming in. I think um from a personal level watching the students come through and practice where I currently am the the knowledge and the 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 teaching that they're giving is immense. It's it's it, it baffles me that I don't know half the things that they're talking about. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I stayed on as a coach was that they can teach me, so I can still know the the, the current levels of what's happening. Um, I think we're in a, we're in a, still in a bit of a bubble with locums. Um, I think the locum bubble's got to burst at some point, and hopefully, with salaries increasing and salaries being better paid people will move away from locum agencies and they will start moving into practice full time so it makes it a little bit more coherent on the care that's coming and the, the staff that's working through what, um, what
1: do you mean when you say the locum bubble what, what exactly are you referring to there Craig?
2: a lot of nurses who are my age and slightly younger left general practice to become locums because financially it's about they were seeing it as better for them right i think if practices so we're just going to pick random figures, but if you're a veterinary nurse and you're in practice and you're paid £12 an hour and a locum agency is offering you £25 an hour, you're going to leave and go to a locum agency. Yeah. If practices are then able to go, well, we'll increase your salary from 12 to 18, people may stay in practice and work in practice yeah. because they yeah. get the benefits that come along with that being pensions and holidays and guaranteed work.
0: People, leave or, uh, yeah.
2: Of course. Um, But I think that that is, I think that bubble's got to burst at some point. I've watched it grow for the last 10 years plus.
0: Um,
2: And I think it's the same with vets as well. Um, Yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: Yeah, I am in a position where I work in a large hospital. So there's over 100 members of staff, including lay staff and reception staff, veterinary nurses and and vets. And we are lucky that we don't bring in many locums. But I think currently we have about three or four Mm -hmm. who are in Mm -hmm. with us. Um, and it would be nice if we could turn those people into full-time staff. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. The profession is
0: still, nursing and betting, and still woefully underpersoned, isn't it?
2: Yes. But I don't know how we'd be able to fix or change this. The Hopefully with the, the new vet schools that have come out, we'll have an in- influx of new vets that are coming onto the scene very soon. Um, A lot of practices, I believe, are not training nurses anymore, Um, so luckily we've now got the university routes that they can go through so we can get them into practice. Um, I was a work-based training, I was more practical, um, but I do think there's a benefit to both sides. I think that the education side, if you go through university, for the nursing, you bring something different to the people who do a day release. maybe one comes with slightly more knowledge and one comes with more practical skills and they can learn off each other. Um, and I think that works really, really well. And there's people who benefit from either side of those those spectrums. Um, and it would be sad if we lost one of those completely.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you, I agree yeah. with you. Uh, I suppose, just trying to stick up, I don't know why I am, but to maybe to play devil's advocate, uh, to stick up for the, um, uh, the, the, the corporates who are increasing nurses' salaries across the board. Um, one of the arguments that I've heard them say is that what we're trying to do is level the playing field. So the nurses are recognized for what they do. And so they're then empowered to become earners for practice. Um, once that happens, then the next level of, of, of rise and of, uh, stratification can occur. Now I've, I read Aldous Huxley's Brave New World in 1984. And I know what newspeak is and bullshit sounds like. And it does sound a bit like that, but maybe they have a point. Maybe, you know, now is the time that that we've been undervaluing our our nurses financially as well as professionally. Now perhaps is the time that we recognize them financially and then start from that uh, that new ground zero.
2: Kind of agree. I agree that by so by increasing the salary, there they're going to make those jobs seem more attractive to prospective nurses mm. and nurses who are sitting in practice at the moment and either kicking their feet or they don't feel part of the team or they feel like they're just stagnant at the moment may kind of go. Why be stagnant for twenty four grand a year or I can step somewhere else for six thousand pound pay rise, and they may move and yeah well done for those pra- for, the, for that practice for putting their head above the parapet and throwing that finance out there and i know it's throwing money at it but it may work um i know three veterinary nurses who are jvps one mm-hmm. of them i currently work with on council two of them i trained with way way back when and they are doing a phenomenal job and i think that some practices may need nurse input to be jvps um i don't mm-hmm. think I don't think sometimes it works with just that. You need some external force doing that. Um, and if that's the way to make more money and to be more lucrative and more have more power in the profession, then yeah, I'm all for it. Go for it, nurses. Go and go and prove that you can do it.
1: When you say JVP, you're referring to a joint venture partner.
2: Joint venture partner, yes, that's correct. So
1: getting involved in the business side and yeah. own, ownership of, of the business.
2: Yeah, so the three nurses that I know own a fifty percent share in the practices, right? And don't get me wrong, it's something that has been discussed with myself and other vets mm-hmm. over the last maybe twelve years mm-hmm. um, about whether we do it. Um, but it's scary. <laughs> that's why I've not done it. It
0: is, it <laughs> is scary. Business ownership, yeah. business ownership is scary. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah well,
1: uh,
0: and way. and and it's not and it's not for everyone. Um, I, uh, I, I I sold my practice. I had a very lucrative practice. It uh, went very well. And part of the reason I sold it was because actually it was keeping me up at night, the thought of the, the loan. Yeah. And yeah, I enjoy being a vet. I don't necessarily enjoy being a practice owner.
2: Yeah. Yes. And I've seen that happen with vets before. I've seen that with the vets I've worked with. And it's, I think it's a lot of things that you you're not have us put this nicely you're not taught that at university you're not taught that as in your training both both vets and nurses none of that's brought into it so oh. you kind of think yeah i'm a good vet yeah i'm a good nurse clients like me what they do in the back office seems quite easy i can do that and it's really not it's not i think it's a whole different skill set yeah
1: yeah I, I mean yeah. i come from the other side and uh i sometimes I despair, but generally I love the cut and thrust of business and I love small business. So, mm. you know, that's, that's what I enjoy. And, uh, that's why, you know, very often I'll end up helping other small businesses who haven't necessarily got the mindset, um, and who may consider, well, profit as a dirty word. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that that's fine you know that's uh as you say it's a different skill set isn't it so yeah so,
2: so, so I, I, I i think i can say this yeah i think that don't think this will get me into trouble so i currently work um with two veterinary surgeons and one of them is um um molly vargas smith yeah. um who i'm sure you're listening we know to her well her. we know her yeah, well. Yeah, everybody knows moll um to really embarrass her and she'll hate me saying this um it was molly who i did work experience with when i was 15 Um, (laughs) (laughs) and and she was only 22 a very young incredible incredible she was very young um so the the problem that we have potentially with our day-to-day work life is that neither of us can say no to anybody so if somebody if some our attitude is that if somebody is willing to pick the telephone up to ring a practice to say i'm worried about x y and z we will say yeah bring it down yeah yeah which means that we will triple book ourselves quite quickly and we don't we work hard we don't work smart yeah which will be a bad thing if me and mal ever took a practice we need somebody to kind of rein us in quite a lot <laughs> yeah. yeah but, but yeah. you know you, you you said it
0: absolutely correctly there P- people don't just pick up the phone well yeah so, some clients do some clients do. but the majority of clients don't pick up the phone thinking i want to have a chat with someone they they phone because they've gone through a whole process thinking, this is gonna cost me money, or I'm worried that, that if I phone the vet <laughs> or the nurse is gonna tell me some bad news. And so there's a disinclination to phone because they might be told that their pet is seriously ill, which seems a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? But they don't want the phone because they don't want to have their, their worst fears realized. And so they've gone through that whole process. They then phone and someone says, now uh, we've got no appointments today, phone tomorrow.
2: <laughs>
0: and that's, we hear that happening because our practice sees a lot of those clients that the, with their second or third phone call. You know, my, my practice can't see me for the next two weeks. C- can you see me? Uh, yes, we can. What's the problem? Is the answer. And if the answer is, well, uh, we, we, we're two weeks later on a vaccination. Yes, we can absolutely see you. Now that won't be till tomorrow they've only thought three weeks on tuesday
1: <laughs> three weeks yeah.
0: all, all food but yeah you know, the, the the affirmation that we will see them comes before the tell me what's going on
2: yeah and i, and I think it's
0: unfair I think, otherwise
2: yeah i think that that was drilled into me i've worked um ecc for five years i worked for, for bets now um for five years out of a um out of a pdsa sort of a charity building and every mm. phone call that rang was offered an appointment. And I don't see the difference if it being two o'clock in the morning and you being worried, or two o'clock in the afternoon and you being worried. You're still the client is still worried. The client still wants to come in. Mm. Um, everybody had their, their 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 issues with with lockdown and the way that practices had to run and we had to mm. really change things. It worked really well for our department because I would go out and I would get the animal from the car and I would bring it back into the practice. And as I was bringing it back in, Molly would leave with the, client, with the patient she's just seen. And we just have a kind of revolving door of patients moving through, which <laughs> meant that we double booked ourselves every single day, but we just revolved it through. And it also meant that the clients got to meet all of the team. They got to meet me to say hello and give me a brief history. They then got to meet the vet at the end of it, who give them a detailed explanation and how's your medication <laughs> and we'll see you in two weeks. Um, so I think that gelled a lot of our clients in with us as well, which was great.
0: See, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Because the, the majority of people we've spoken to, uh, that their experience of the pandemic and lockdown is that they felt there was less client interaction. And I think the way they handled it was the, the nurse would come and collect the pet and then take it back with with a best a written note. Yeah. At worst, a Chinese whisper. Um, we, the way we did it was very similar to you, that the, there'd always be a vet then come out to talk to the owner directly because I, I think that way, as you say, they're seeing more of the team. They're they're getting um, more bang for the buck.
2: I think if they're paying a consultation fee, that they should see the vet at some aspect during that. Okay, there would be the days they enjoyed. I say this? there would be the days it was raining quite heavy, and the vet would call them, and I would just get wet. Um, but but that's part of yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and that hair takes a long time to dry.
2: It does. It does. I'd also take my own umbrella to work. So I was okay.
0: <laughs> I, When it rained, I was always the person sent out to talk to the client for exactly that reason. They'll wipe air with a Kleenex and that's me done. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Fact, well, but, but most of the water was retained in my eyebrows. So. <laughs> but,
2: but what we were saying before about potentially setting up a practice, if I was to set up a practice, if I could have an ideal practice, there would be a. Very small treadmill that came on both sides of the door, and you could fit an animal box on that. You put a post it note on top with what the ailment was, you put it on and pressed a button into the practice <laughs> account, and we sent it back out with medication and they paid a bill. No client interactions. That's what I want. <laughs> it,
0: it's, it's the old saying the job would be great if it wasn't for the owners.
2: Yeah. Come on, we, we do it in yeah. supermarkets now. We all go to the self checkout so that we don't have to interact with humans. Can't veterinary <laughs> medicine be the same? We do. Or they again. Again,
0: I feel guilty of self-deprecation as, as you were earlier because I, I know that a vast proportion of your job is interacting with clients to tell them about husbandry because you, you believe very yeah. strongly
2: yeah.
0: In, uh, in, in in good welfare, which is yeah. I think even more important for NTCAs, for exotics than for, for dogs and cats because most people have a good idea about dogs yeah. and
2: cats. And I think what happens is that people go to the <laughs> Any of us now could walk into a a store, an an exotic specialist store, and buy a bearded dragon or a leopard gecko or, in extreme circumstances, an iguana. And they will say, this is the setup you need. Thank you for the thousand pound. We'll see you to buy some crickets. Mm. And it's only six to eight months later when they walk into practice that we tell them that that's all wrong and you need a bigger enclosure and your lights are wrong and your feeding is wrong and your substrate's wrong. And the stores are there to make the money off these products yes. I understand why they're selling them. And that is probably the biggest issue and kind of the biggest kind of head-butting thing that we have with clients is, well, I've done that for so long. Why are you telling me that's wrong? Well, Aspen's yeah. bad for your snake. You've seen that it grows mushrooms. That's why you've got a respiratory infection. You've got, your, you've got your bearded dragon on sand. They don't live on sand. They're eating it. It's now got a compactation. We need to operate on it it's at the wrong temperature it's x it's y um mm. so yeah it's it's been something that for potentially for about 20 years i've been the person that's gone in and spoken to them about the husbandry and don't get me wrong i don't know everything about everything and occasionally i'll use dr google to find a care sheet for the client
0: mm-hmm.
2: um but it's yeah actually the care and the, the the wellbeing of those patients is a huge part of my job.
1: Is that one of your big frustrations?
2: Yeah, it's the biggest frustration with with, with exotic pets. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of things that are frustrating. But frustration doesn't mean that I won't do it. Right. I yeah. don't think personally. I don't think that birds should be kept in single groups and should be kept in small cages. They should be have as much space as they can possibly have. I'm not going to stop seeing that single budgie that this that a client's got that lives in a cage and has done oh, for ten yeah. years. I don't think primates should be kept as pets, Mm -hmm. but people will keep them and they will continue keeping them. Even when the laws change, it doesn't stop me wanting to treat them. Um, Yeah. yeah, Because if you
0: you don't treat them, he's going to.
2: Exactly. Mm. And you don't really get those problems with cats and dogs because you keep your cat indoors and you feed it or you let it out to go into the garden to do its business. And with a dog, you take it for a walk twice a day. You can't really go wrong.
0: We we sadly see a lot of people going very, very wrong. But 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 I get your point that that yes. there is a better level of general education about dogs and cats than there is about the exotics. And and we mentioned rabbits, you know, a very traditional companion animal. Uh, and, and how often are they still kept in a in a two foot by three foot hutch year in, year getting, out?
2: Yeah, I think that's getting better. I think our have um, mm. pushed it quite hard for the hutch is not enough. Um, I think a lot of the stores are no longer selling them as primary enclosures, they're selling them as a as a bedroom space. Um, I think it is getting better. We we are probably in a very lucky position with the number of rabbits that we see, what we having Molly as our prime vet there. People will travel the length and breadth of the country to come and see her. Um, we won't say they're crazy, we'll say that they're compassionate. Um, and that's where they'll travel so far. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think we're very lucky on, on what we see. Um, and the, the 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 level of medicine and the level of veterinary care that we can give to those animals is just as good as what it is with cats and dogs. Um, we had a tortoise in two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, that had unfortunately the owners had the owners had been out in the garden with, with the tortoise. The tortoise has been foraging and eating weeds. The parents thought that the tortoise had been brought in by, this child, by the children, and the children thought that the parents had brought the tortoise in, and he spent the night outside. The tortoise was then attacked by rats overnight, and he had quite a lot of extensive damage to his forelimbs. Ooh. We've seen it before, and we've treated them, and everything's been grand. And we started to treat it with dressings, and with, with wet-to-drys, and everything else. It was doing really well. And then it came in for one of its checks, and there was no saving one of the front limbs. So we decided amputation was the best bet. And I will send you the link, or I'll try and find him in a second. Um, This tortoise has now had both of his front legs amputated and has had wheels attached to him. And I think he's called Eddie the monster truck tortoise. I'm gonna try and find him now. Um, And he's doing really, really well, but that level of care. We were able to perform that because the clients were, would let us go ahead and do do the surgery and let us do the procedures. Um, and I don't think people realize the extensive work that we can do. We're doing external fixators on rabbits quite regularly, we're doing intensive um endoscopy work on parrots on a weekly basis. Um, we do CTs on rabbits probably three times a week. Um, wow. there is an awful lot we can do. Our biggest issue that I'm fighting for at the minute is that are um is the insurance levels that you get on rabbits is only two thousand pounds Ah yeah um, and yeah. working, working on a referral basis a first opinion practice can probably run through 800 pounds quite quickly then a referral consultation CT surgery and the insurance has gone and then it's <laughs> how committed the clients are to care after that um but we our clients do that and our clients let us go ahead and do this. Um, yeah, I think if you search for Eddie Munster Truck Tortoise on Instagram, I think you'll find him. Um, but I'll send you a link if you want to put it on the...
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Things.
2: Um, but yeah, that's our little success story that we've had in the last couple of weeks. That's gone completely viral online. Mm-hmm.
1: Is it ethical to attach wheels to your tortoise?
2: Pretend that or it's going to scratch the front of a shell every time it works. <laughs> <laughs> It's the same question as: Is it ethical to put prosthetics? Yeah, um, they do really well. He, the, we've spoken to the owners in depth, and they knew the, the care that was going to be needed, and um, you could see the tortoise trying to land. If it pushed up too high on its back legs, it would face plant the floor, and how far it can lift itself up to do it. And he's learned quite quickly, and he's he's zooming around the garden.
0: Yeah, I have he's to say, that, um, on what, yeah, <laughs> one of my one of my clients has uh, has a. a, a tortoise with, uh, with a, an artificial wheel placed by a local vet, doing really well, amazingly well. And from every uh, welfare inspection that I've given it, it seems fine, you know, as, as far as you can tell. There are no signs of, of ill-thrift, no signs of uh, of, of unha- unhappiness or pain. Uh, difficult to tell in any animal, Difficult to tell in tortoises, but actually, hang, hang on,
1: hang on, hang
0: on, more difficult what, than in a what, dog or a cat. What's
1: that hair? You want a turbocharger if you're going to race a tortoise with wheels. Yeah, <laughs> my hair is not very happy about this. Sure,
0: he's they're a lifeless afterburner. Um,
1: yeah, he needs an afterburner or a turbo or something like that. I don't know. I
2: think, I think the only problems that they're going to have in the future with it, is he is going to need to have his tyres changed quite regularly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, you worry about the ecological damage because the, um, uh the, 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 the microplastics in the tyre. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm
1: wondering what ratio, width and, and depth of tyre he's got on these things.
2: Well, it depends on where you're off-roading it. Well, absolutely. They they are off-road tyres, so um, Sergio Silvetti went out and bought um, every type of car construction kit that he could possibly find in a local toy, toy store. So we have boxes of Lego and Meccano and everything <laughs> else in the practice, um, so he could build the best functioning stability. For but there was system. no
0: temptation to build a little suck with camel model on the top, just for good measure. You I got the kit, you may as well use it.
2: Yeah, I would have loved for him to put kind of more Lego underneath and we could have put wings and a power suit over the top, but he wasn't into it. <laughs> uh, well,
0: that would, you did your best, great. You <laughs> we did, we tried. <laughs> yeah, I th- I th- yeah.
2: And in any
1: race, I think my my, my hair here would uh, would object if it had got aerodynamic spoilers and wings and things like that on it.
0: The purists on their hair,
1: really. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. very, very yeah. much so. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: I don't. Have you come across that section in Veterinary Ramblings that we call 60-second CPD, Craig?
2: 60-second? I have come across it, yeah, I have done my research. You
1: have? Yes. Fantastic. Are you up to take on the challenge? Yeah, go for it. Yeah? Well, as I say, this is segue segue 101, really, isn't it? Because I understand (laughs) that you want to do a 60-second CPD on the things they should have tortoise us is that right
2: yeah well, it's things a pun, he, isn't it things they should things
1: have, taught should us. have taught us. yeah things i should have tortoises. tortoise yeah tortoise <laughs> great great testament 60 second cpd the things
2: they should have tortoises, starting now Super. So this is more on the nursing, the transferable skills that we have with exotic patients. The best way I thought of doing this for 60 seconds was to tell a really quick story. We had a busy week, one week in work. We had a two skunks and we had a pig in to be spayed. We are a training practice, so we had a bunch of students and a bunch of the normal veterinary staff who came to watch us. We gave all of our analgesia, we gave our anesthetic, and the veterinary surgeon went ahead and did the procedure all of the students and all of the staff stood around, they watched in awe of the amazing things that we'd just done. Then the vet left the room and they turned around and went, she's amazing, she knows all the anatomy of inside of a pig, she knows all the anatomy of inside of a a skunk. No, as soon as we'd done, as soon as the drape was placed and the animal was asleep, it was a cat. So the transferable skills on this is, why are we scared of doing things? If we can do it on a cat and a dog, we can do it on other species. As soon as you understand the small little changes that they've got, we can do these things. So why do we not do it? And why do we get scared? Where way I look at things is everything is a cat. 60 seconds. Hey!
0: <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a take home message. Everything is a cat. Everything is a cat. We're told at vet school, cats are not small dogs. But actually, if you turn the other way around and say everything is a cat, that makes perfect sense. It's just,
2: it's just when you, yeah. If you if you know the little silly strange change that these things have got, if you know that a bird has air sacs rather than just lungs, if you know how to anesthetize this patient to to anesthetize it when it's asleep and it's in front of you, my job, as simple as it sounds, is to make sure that it's got a heart rate, that it's that it's breathing, and that it's comfortable during the procedure. And I think that having that attitude that I have, that everything. You're monitoring the same thing that work through. Mm. You can give me something for the very first time, and yes, it's a scary thing to. Mm. So we had a wallaby brought in that needed an anesthetic. I've never done a wallaby anesthetic before, but we did our reading. We found out what to do, and I treated it just like whatever other animal, and it woke up and went home, and that's my job done. I yeah. know I'm really making it basic, but yeah. that's why I look at exotics. So I've, I've kept tarantulas as a hobbyist for about twenty years, um, wow. and we've had everything from. Um, your your small jumping spiders your goliath bird eaters to your um my wife ran a invertebrate zoo so we had um wandering spiders we've had black widows in the house and things like that the best way to describe them is they're just goldfish you create yeah. an environment for them you feed them you keep them happy i've never handled them i've never been bitten by them um knowing the slight changes and nuances that they've got that Certain species, such as red knees, will flick hair at you, at you as a defense mechanism, which can be very irritant. Um, so you don't get flicked by them. To know that um, king baboons are quite aggressive and they'll styrate, so they'll actually go up on their back legs and hiss at you um, when they're angry, and they will give it quite a nasty bite. Um, to know that avitularis species are quite friendly and they'll climb on you if you give them the opportunity and you try not to. Um, so yeah, I've kept them for a long time. Um, I'm actually lecturing on tarantula care at um bvzs in november which is right. a scary thing which i didn't think i'd be talking about well, um, especially when we've got one of the vets who are on their council who is their invertebrate kind of expert let's say um, so i have to be very careful on what i say <laughs> or maybe reference some of his work
1: <laughs> probably not probably not have you considered that they might be thinking hang on craig chessman is lecturing i need to go and learn something
2: when he was yeah. a student, when he was a student, I taught him most of the stuff that he knows about spiders. So,
0: yeah. So, well, there we go. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that they goldfish. Um, we we have those pets as things to look at, primarily, I guess, rather than interact with. And part of that is making the habitat as beautiful as possible. Yes. You don't want to have a goldfish in a bland bowl. You want to have a goldfish in a tank that, that that looks like it's a normal environment for a goldfish because that's more interesting.
2: You want it to be living art. You want it to be yes, moves and, and and changes and um terrarium care uh, the, and of the tarantulas and stuff has changed over the years, where it's now all about live plants and bi- um biosystems where you 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 Dig the substrate in certain levels, and you have little things that eat away at the the spider droppings and things. Um, it's all changed a lot from when it was me with cocoa fiber yeah. and and a hide.
0: Um, and, and you and you need fungi for that. You do. You've got to have the right fungi to digest a tarantula poo.
2: I think I think Mike's left now. He doesn't. He's.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for him to do his fungi joke. <laughs> I've been I've been champion on the bit to say that, haven't I?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Uh, there's not much room for jokes here, though. No. Oh, dear. Why do I do this? <laughs> it's just that I, I've recognised in the past that, that uh, Craig and I can do a few puns at a meeting. Yeah. Yes. And, and usually you
2: went straight over people's heads. Yes. Usually we yeah.
0: say a few and no one has noticed that anything has happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can
0: imagine. I can imagine. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that uh, that CPD that Craig gave us is is worthy of a certificate. Absolutely, forgot about that. It just so happens I have a modest example here.
1: Have you come on? Have you got? Have you done a CPD certificate? Yeah, good,
0: excellent. What have we got? Come on, then, yeah. here we go. So this says this says certificate of greater understanding of chelonians. It says this certifies that turtles, terrapins, and tortoises are different. Vive la difference. And so here we have, now this is, you talk about um, uh, enrichment of the of the environment, of the vivarium. I really that. Yeah, yeah. These, are, these are my tortoises, my yeah. tortoises and little vivarians on two layers. There's a, you can't see it, but off to one side of the top, there's a little, little water bath. There's somewhere for them to, yeah. to hide. Under that shelf.
1: I'm just wondering how Eddie would get on in there because you've got this bridge and a ramp, haven't you? Oh, ah, he'd love that. Eddie could actually make the turn at the bottom of the ramp. I'm sure
0: he could. I uh, would well, have to put a handbrake could.
2: in for him. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> now, he, here's here's one of my tortoises. Unfortunately, it had uh, persistent priapism. And we had to do a penile amputation of him. But uh, uh, never mind, he's fine now. This is a Galapagos giant tortoise. Over the other side, we have a rough lemur. Now, I only put a lemur in because they're one of my favourite uh, uh, primates, And you have some lovely pictures of yourself treating lemurs. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a, a chameleon. Now, this is a, this is a wild chameleon that we found in Gozo. In and about 30 years back in Gozo, Gozo, near Malta. All right. Yeah. And they're not traditionally Gazitan animals. But about 30 years ago, someone let their wild chameleons loose in Gozo. And they're breeding quite happily. And there's a nice colony that has formed in, in, in one of the areas of Gozo. Uh, and there's a little ground squirrel uh, or chipmunk at the, at the bottom of the picture there. Uh, again, a wild one. Those few would show, uh, really, that, that actually a lot of the exotic animals, non-traditional companion animals, we want to capture a bit of the wild when we get them. But I think the wild is a lot easier to access than it used to be. And my preference is always to try, if we can, to go and see them in as, as wild an environment as possible. It may be, you know, if we have the money, we can go off to, 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 to exotic places and, and see them. Uh, if we haven't got the money, then going to uh, a good zoo that keeps them well and is part of uh, a breeding programme, we can see these animals. We haven't got the hassle of looking after them, or the worries about paying for veterinary bills and the, the need for knowledge to, to look after them. And we can see them, if it's a good zoo, in as wild an environment as possible. right? I always do that. I love being in the zoos because I love seeing the, these animals and the environment in which they should live. Yeah, but
2: anyway, I that's, I that, think that, a lot that, that's a, better. Thank you. I think a lot of the zoos have gotten an awful lot better on, on how they're doing things and how, mm. how things are, are kept. Um, and yeah, don't, don't go and buy a primate. Don't look at them in the zoo in a colony and in a group and yeah. Um, yet yeah, the lemur that we saw was from a zoological collection that was in for um, MRI. All
0: right, right. So
2: we were MRIing it, it, its head, it was having um, it was having cluster seizures, and we did yeah. MRIs of its skull to see if there was anything going on there. Um, and we actually, they, you have in human MRIs, they have different um, kind of chambers that you put yourself in, so you kind of have a wrist and a shoulder that you can you go in. Uh, we actually set up the lemur inside of a wrist chamber to actually help and. Condense down those those rays. Um, it's a really interesting case. It was a, I think it was a five o'clock in the morning job. Mm-hmm. As we we go in crazy early, we don't tell anybody we are, and they have left before Joe Publix arrived.
0: Right, right, interesting.
2: But yeah, it's a, it's something we're hoping in the future to throw out to more of the local zoological collections in our area because we've got quite a few. Who, who mm-hmm. have got access to MRIs, but they're through different organizations to potentially say, if you want to do it at silly o'clock in the morning or silly o'clock in the evening, we will be there. Um, we will be there for you to bring your line in and we'll do what we need to do. And yeah. Yeah. Because that's cool you, love it?
0: You, <laughs> must, you must love it. You must absolutely adore your job.
2: Yeah. If I wouldn't still be doing it, if I didn't, um, mm. every day is different every hour of every day is different. And I think that's why I like NTCA's is is that, where you were saying before, it's nice to, to, to you work off what the differences are. I've always looked at veterinary medicine is that you take your basic knowledge and you throw those pages in the air and whichever ones you can catch is how you treat that patient. Um, Because there isn't a a hard line on how most of these things are looked after and cared for. Um, It's getting better and there is more knowledge out there and there's more people talking about it, which is brilliant. but yeah, every we can see every 20 minutes throughout the day, we can see a completely different species. And that's that's impressive. You don't get to do that in many other jobs.
0: Or, or a completely different order, yeah. phylum.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Yeah.
2: So yeah. Some days do run weird. Some days you do just have an avian day, and you just kind of look at the book going, why is everything a rabbit? Oh, sorry, why is everything a bird, and there's one rabbit book in? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then exit Rabbits. Rabbit Central. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent stuff. Excellent. I don't know. So, so tell me, have you got? We, we've done the CPD, brilliantly delivered. We've got a certificate, but to really make it qualify for our RCVS CPD allowance, we have to reflect on the CPD we've received. Oh, we do. We do. Have you got a reflection question you could ask us, Craig, to let our listeners reflect on the CPD that you've so kindly shared with us today?
2: Yeah, um, I did write this down and I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, <laughs>
0: um, hold on, we can, no, we can jog on. your memory. I
2: found it. It's question three. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, if you can do it on a cat or a dog, then what's stopping you providing the same treatment for a non-traditional companion? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's
1: a good question. So, I mean, it's just, very good just question. take a little bit yeah. of time to think that if you can do it on a cat or a dog, you could probably do it on something else. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah, And I, th- I think that... Working in a multidisciplinary hospital like we do, we've taught that to the other departments. We've walked into our orthopedic team and gone, How would you fix this? And they've gone, Well, we wouldn't. And I was like, No, okay, it's a cat. How would you fix it? Oh, we do this. Right. Yeah. Can we now do this on this gerbil or what have you? Um, Although I have to
0: say, my, my hypertonic saline treatment of an African giant snail didn't go well. Did that not work? No.
1: Did you try garlic?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was the hypertonic saline. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And, and unfortunately, a lot of it comes down to the the perception of money rather than nice. the money itself. The gerbils were always classed as, as inexpensive pets, weren't they? And why would why would you send an inexpensive pet off for a CC scan? You send an uh, uh, inexpensive pet off to uh, to referral surgery for uh, for an ovarian tumour removal. Um, these days, fortunately, insurance is there to some extent. You mentioned the the, the limitations of insurance for for non-traditional companion animals, uh, but the perception among clients that actually these modalities of treatment are becoming more available is getting out there, isn't it?
2: My only caveat to that question would be you would walk into a store or a breeder to purchase a rabbit, and a rabbit can live for 14 years. But that six year old cat that turned up in your garden chose you as a pet, chose you as an owner. And that six year old cat might only live for another five years, but you will pay the money for that. Yes. And yes. they, yeah, you know where I'm going well, with that one.
0: Well, one, no, of, no. one of our tortoises is a stray we've we, yeah, we we got go it for go about
1: further. eight months of age Show yeah, more craig What's, where are you going with that
2: no you, you, you're, if you're willing to purchase a rabbit and you're willing to look after it for the longevity of its life and if you get 12 years out of it then taking it into a veterinary practice it shouldn't be looked at as a it's a child's pet or it's a, it's a cheap it's a no. cheap animal no. it no. should be offered you should always offer first line, you should offer hate word, but you should always offer them gold standard first. And if a CT is what you think is what's needed, then offer a CT. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. the, the, the old scabby cat that's turned up to your garden that the client's gonna bring in, that they're gonna spend 500 quid on a dental on and x-rays and everything else. That was something yeah. that chose that yeah. person. Those people didn't go in with the, the the long, kind of the long road of we're going to get a cat.
0: Um, Absolutely. I think I think the best thing we can do always is to offer, mm what's yes. there, it's then, it's then up to the owner to say, well, actually, I can't afford that, or ethically, I don't want to do that, or for whatever reason, I don't want to do that, let's look at other options. And, and then we go through the pragmatic route, don't we, of saying, well, okay, what, what is still very, very important is is the welfare, the pain relief, the outcome. Let's what, see if there's another mix
2: we can get. But I also think that there is nothing wrong with a veterinary practice saying, I'm really sorry, we don't see that animal, we don't have experience with it, and direct somebody in the correct location to go.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think
2: think that's possibly bigger and braver and more ethical than seeing that animal, throwing some Baytrol and Metacam at it, hoping it'll stick. It
0: will stick Yes. yeah.
2: Before sending it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with beta-lometicam. It works, sometimes. Well,
0: yeah, there there is something with beta isn't there, and uh, it should be a reserved antibiotic. But um, but you're absolutely right. Um, Part of that onus, I think, can now be taken by owners who can say, I've got um, a sugar glider. Are there any vets there uh, who have experience in treating them? Or are there any nurses there who have any experience in the husbandry who can advise me? And it's about owners realising that we're not just there to jab things, but we are actually there to give advice. And as you say, sometimes that advice is, you know, I can't help you, but I know someone who can.
2: Yeah. And I think that there, there is a website which is going to be coming up soon, which is going to be providing questions and answers for prospective um, animal owners. That gives them a certificate to say that they're able to purchase these animals. That will direct them into the position of which veterinary practices in that area are able to actually assist in things. That's something I, I believe is in the, the, the works at the minute and BVA are working closely with them at the moment to see if they can help. Um, because I've seen them at some of the um, they were at BSAVA this year and and what have you, and their model seems to be working very well for them. And I think if they can push it and they can make it work, then people are walking into stores with some knowledge and with some information beforehand. And if the stores just take it on board, they've shown me a certificate, they can buy it, they've answered 20 Mm -hmm. questions. That's a bit like going in to purchase some fish, but buying the fish tank and setting it up and acclimatizing it before you actually get the animals.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: That sounds like Uh, a really
1: positive initiative. Where's
2: that? Uh, It is a website which isn't live at the moment, but I think it's, no, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, it It's going to be live, but if if I can find the details, I'll send it across to you.
0: Okay. Uh, As far as I'm aware, isn't it a joint uh, BVA, BSAVA venture, or
2: have I? They're they're both on board with it. I think BVNA are trying to get on board (laughs) as well. A couple of other. Mm-hmm. pet food manufacturers and stuff are kind of getting on board with it as well. So it's, they're trying to get as much, and as many names involved with it as possible. As many buy-ins
0: as possible, because that, yes. that's the way to market it to the general public, so isn't
2: it? it? And they're not asking for anything from these people. It's just, do you think it's a good idea? Can we put your name on it? Let's see if it yep. works.
0: Yeah, because as you said earlier, uh, with, um, with the iguana purchase, Clients don't come to us until they've had the animal for a long while. And there's a problem. People should be coming to us beforehand and saying, uh, to, to you particularly, you're, you're a non-traditional companion animal practice. I would really, really like a bearded dragon. Can you tell me about it? Can you point me towards some sources of information? Uh, will you be my vet afterwards? You know, what They should be coming to us as the primary source of, of uh, good information for yes. their intended pet, not just as a, bought this and it's not working, what can I do
2: about it? Yeah, because I think when you when you get a cat and a dog, you're in a veterinary practice within the, within the first 72 hours for a vaccination yeah, or absolutely. a health check, and it doesn't work that way with anything else.
0: No, no. Yeah. Maybe we should get vaccinations going
2: for a Just, just, Just the hypotonic line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not allowed to use placebos anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs>
1: uh, outrageous behaviour. Outrageous behaviour. Well, I'm ever so sorry to say this, Craig, but it's come to that sort of time.
0: Oh,
2: oh we're going to have Too to soon! soon.
1: say goodbye at this point in time i think and all i'd say is that if you've enjoyed listening to craig as much as we've enjoyed having craig on then drop us a line get in touch don't forget to like share and subscribe it does help and uh, let us know let us know who you want to talk to let us know what you want us to talk about and we'll do our best to fit that in so on that note craig I'll, I'll raise I'll raise me me can of of um Gerolstolfner Um backer Pilsner. Bought bought from the supermarket but shall not be named. And I shall say, may your dog go with you.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: You're very, very well. May your dog go with you. Or indeed
0: your your NTCA go with
2: you. Yeah,
1: may your NTCA go with you. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers guys. <laughs>